Hello, uh, welcome to uh, the second of the podcasts that Warren and I, Warren and I are go- doing at this website. And uh, we're glad to see uh, a little uptick in the number of people who are coming on the website to listen to these uh, podcasts. Feel free to give us feedback. Uh, there are uh, feedback uh, locations on the website. Um, Warren, you want to talk a little bit about how people can listen in and uh, give their feedback to you? Yeah. If uh, on the uh, webpage, there's something that says contact us. And what that does is that goes directly to the inbox. And I see all those uh, questions. So that gives us an idea of who's seeing the uh, webpage. And also, if you have any questions, I can address them right on the website. And it'll be very efficient that way. It's up to now people are looking at the site, but they're not really uh, participating in the site. Right. And without participation, the uh, website doesn't really function the way it's supposed to function. And right. and last time, Warren, you had mentioned about the blog, and I want to uh, make a pitch for the blog again. Uh, this is an opportunity for people who come to the website to ask questions, um, lead the discussion. And sometimes um, one member can ask a question and some others may have the answers um, to it. And if nobody has an answer, Warren and I can uh, certainly um, give answers either via the podcast or directly on the website itself. Uh, So this is going to be a nice resource for anybody who wants to use this. So um, on that note, let's um, go on to talk about uh, one of the newer medicines that has been approved. Um, and this medicine is called safinamide. Its commercial name is Zadago, X-A-D-A-G-O. Um, its uh, chemical name is safinamide, S-A-F-A-N-A-M-I-D-E. Um, this is a medicine uh, which is a monoamino oxidase B inhibitor. Now that's a mouthful. But monoamino oxidase, is, as Warren would tell you, has been around for a while. Um, we had one um, nearly 15 years ago or 20 years ago, which is called Selegeline, S-E-L-E-G-E-L-I-N-E. Some of the listeners to this podcast may be taking it or may have taken it in the past. It was one of the first monoamino oxidase uh, inhibitors that was released. And then we have a second one, which is called rasagiline, R-A-S-A-G-A-L-I-N-E. It's otherwise called Azilect, A-Z-A-L-I-C-T. Again, a number of listeners may be on it. It's also a monoaminoxidase B inhibitor. And then the newest kid on the block is safinamide or Zadago, which is also a monoaminoxidase inhibitor. So we have three of them, selegiline, rasagiline, and safinamide. All three of them are monoaminoxidase B inhibitors. So what is a monoamino oxidase B inhibitor? Uh, so monoamino oxidases are enzymes, and these enzymes allow the breakdown of many hormones, but the one that are, we are most interested is uh, dopamine. So as many of you know, in Parkinson's disease, there is a deficiency of dopamine in the brain. And when normal people have excess dopamine in the brain, this enzyme works on the excess dopamine and trims it down so that you don't get deleterious side effects from having too much dopamine in the brain. So in Parkinson's disease, 
um, we already have a deficiency of dopamine. And so there is no excess dopamine. And blocking the monoamino oxidase actually allows the dopamine to stay longer in the synapse, the place where it needs to be, and act on the receptors. So Warren, you're a, a pharmacist and you can sort of um, talk about your experience uh, with selegiline and rosagiline, um, which is uh, drugs that have been around for a while. Um, can you say a few words about that? Yeah, the, uh, the older drugs are less specific to the receptor than the newer drugs, right. such as when uh, MAO inhibitors came out, it was just an MAO inhibitor. It wasn't even MAO-B inhibitor. So the, the B made it just on those receptors, which made it much less side effects and much less dietary effects. And the, the big issue with that was lowering the uh, red wine and cheese and different tyramine-containing foods. And uh, when the B inhibitors came out, it became less restrictive. And now with this third one that came out, there's no restrictions at all. Right. Uh, much cleaner as, it, as they develop newer drugs. And basically that's, that's the biggest difference is the uh, FDA indication that you don't have to watch your diet on this drug. Right. So let's go over that a little bit more detail. So um, what are the monoamino oxidases and why should you watch what you eat? So um, in many foods, particularly uh, certain foods such as aged cheese, red wine, certain nuts, um, also in fermented food, for example, um, uh, kimchi, which is a Korean um, uh, stewed cabbage, a fermented cabbage, uh, similar to sauerkraut, which a lot, a lot of North Americans eat. Um, there is a particular protein called tyramine. Uh, tyramine uh, dietary tyramine is harmless in most people, but if you take um, this particular medicine, monoamino oxidase inhibitor, in theory, you can uh, cause excess blood pressure, high blood pressure to occur, because tyramine can act on your blood vessel walls via sympathomimetic, meaning your blood pressure regulating um, hormones, and cause blood pressure to go up. So in theory, uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitors can cause hypertension. However, as Warren was just explaining, uh, there are two kinds of monoamine oxidase inhibitors. One is called MAOA and the other one is called MAOB. And MAOB is primarily present in the brain and it's inside the brain, whereas MAOA is there in your heart, it's there in your adrenal glands, it's outside the brain. So the, the things that are outside the brain are the most important things for controlling blood pressure. And the ones that are inside the brain really don't do much for blood pressure whatsoever because it's in areas of the brain which are not regulating blood pressure directly. Therefore, uh, medicines that act primarily on MAOB um, don't have much of an effect on the dietary proteins, especially the tyramine-containing food like the HGs and red wine and so on and so forth. Now, more interesting is that when you take MAOB drugs, like the selegiline and the rosagiline and the safinamide, the three things that we just talked about, um, they are primarily going and binding to the enzyme monoamino oxidase B, which is in the brain. 
And very little, if anything, goes and binds to the MAOA receptor sites or enzyme sites outside of the brain. However, if you take a very large amount of some of these medicines, so for example, if you overdose yourself on selegiline or rasagiline, it can then go and bind itself to the enzyme that is outside of the brain. This is where this new drug, safinamide, does something really unique and really interesting. Its binding to the enzyme is very, very strong. It's a thousandfold more than the older drugs. And because it's a thousandfold more, we are able to use a very small amount of this medicine. And therefore, because we are using a very small amount of the medicine, it really only goes to the brain and it doesn't go to the periphery. It doesn't go into the bloodstream and do, do the things that we are worried about with the other two drugs. So the high affinity or high binding of this particular drug, safinamide, makes it a somewhat unique drug. The other interesting thing is that the where do we use this drug? So right now, the FDA approval for this new drug, safinamide, is as an add-on drug. If you're already on Parkinson medicines, levodopa, carbidopa, or you're already on um, other agents such as Riteri or Salivo, then you add safinamide on top of it. So it's not indicated as a monotherapy. It's not supposed to be used by itself. It's used as an add-on therapy. So to enhance the effects of carbidopa, levodopa, or cinnamon, or used to enhance the effect of Stalivo, or enhance the effect of Riteri, that's when we use this drug. So what are the examples of patients who might need such a drug? So if you are already taking carbidopa, levodopa three times a day, and you realize that every time you take your drug, by the time you're ready to take your next dose, you are stiff and slow, your tremor has come back. So let's go over an example. Let's say you take your medicine at 6 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and 2 o'clock, and again at 6 o'clock. Those four times that you're taking the medicine. You take your 6 o'clock pill, it kicks in by about half hour, 6.30, it's working. But then by the time it gets to 9.30, half hour before you're due for your next medicine, then you are becoming stiff and slow and tremulous. This is what we call off phenomenon. When the medicine seems to wear off, it's no longer working, and it happens half an hour or an hour before you're due for your next pill. In such a patient, adding this new medicine, Zadago or Safinamide, may allow you to not have problems for the last half hour before your next medicine is due. So this is indicated for individuals who are having off phenomenon as an add-on adjunct medicine. The other interesting thing in research studies, uh, when they did research with Zadago, was that uh, patients who took this medicine did not appear to have a lot of dyskinesias. So one of the concerns whenever we add on medicines that increases dopamine in the body is that it might produce the involuntary movements that we call dyskinesia, where, you, uh, where you're moving continuously, like you see uh, Michael J. Fox doing on t television screen. That type of movement did not appear to happen when patients were given um, Zadago as an add-on therapy. So it appears that it's a very effective drug in increasing the on-time and reducing the off-time without producing dyskinesia. What are the downsides? 
As with any other medicines, there's always some downsides. And the major downside is that it is expensive, it's new, and it's costly. So you have to go through insurance company approval to get it. That's one of the biggest issues. The second issue is, as with any other dopamine-producing drug or dopamine-enhancing drugs, it can produce occasionally um, these dyskinesias, although the studies it didn't. It can also produce confusion or hallucinations. It can occasionally produce leg swelling, occasionally produce headaches. But these are relatively uncommon compared to placebo. Um, but it has to be watched for, and your doctor will have to check to make sure that um, these symptoms are not there and the patients are regularly monitored for it. Again, Zodago is an add-on medicine. Uh, it is available once a day pill. Uh, it's expensive and it's relatively new. You have to get insurance approval. It's indicated for people who are having off phenomenon, meaning medicine's not acting for the entire duration where they're supposed to act on. And uh, it's generally well tolerated, but there are some side effects that we have to watch for. That's sort of the summary of this drug. So to just recollect and just to make sure that we summarize what we have done so far in this podcast is to introduce the concept of monoamino oxidase inhibitors. These are enzymes in the body that normally destroy dopamine and blocking them will allow the dopamine to stay longer in the body. And there are three of them, um, two old ones and a brand new one. And the brand new one is called Zarago, otherwise called safinamide. And this drug has a very strong um, binding to the enzyme, a thousandfold more than the previous two ones. So therefore, we can use small quantities. This allows it to be more specific, and there are no dietary restrictions whatsoever with it. Um, and it's a once-a-day drug, which has to be monitored carefully when your doctor gives it to you. So that's where we are um, here. And Warren, do you have any questions that you think uh, the podcast audience might ask regarding what I just said? Yeah, a couple, a couple things. So uh, basically, if, if you're already on an MAOB inhibitor, you probably wouldn't want to jump off into this new drug because uh, with the expense and the efficacy of it and the, the basically giving you an extra hour of uh, on time, it's, well, it's let, me, let me answer that. So um, there are circumstances in which you may want to switch. Again, your doctor might suggest a switch. So, for example, let's say uh, you're already on uh, rasagiline, azelite, or you're already on selegiline, and you're experiencing end-of-dose wearing off despite being on it, and you are having a bit of dyskinesia. So, for example... Uh, you're taking a medicine at 6 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and 6 o'clock. And what you're uh, experiencing is that um, your medicine doesn't last you until that next dose. And uh, then you take your next dose, and immediately after you take the next dose, within half an hour, you're having a little bit of dyskinesia. And you're already on either selegiline or rasagiline. Now, in that situation the doctor might consider switching you from either selegiline or rasagiline to this new medicine because the hope there is that not only can you avoid the off phenomenon, but also get rid of the dyskinesia, 
because you already have a little bit of dyskinesia and you don't want too much of that. So there is a place to switch, and that's one place where you might consider switching. Another kind of switch that you might consider, again, your doctor might say, hey, you know, maybe you should think about this new drug, is if you are taking some of the older drugs and you're having side effects from it. So, for example, the salicylene, the oldest of all the three MAOB inhibitors, sometimes can disrupt sleep because one of its byproducts is amphetamines. And people who take these amphetamines sometimes, I mean, this medicine may have the amphetamine side effect and not able to sleep in the night well. So in that situation, you might say, okay, let's stop salicylene and switch you over to saclamide and see whether that gives you uh, that benefit, meaning um, it doesn't disrupt your sleep. On the other hand, if you're already sleeping a lot during the day, uh, going to one of the older drugs that has the amphetamine uh, metabolite may actually keep you awake, and that might actually help you from not nodding off. So there are situations where you may want to go from one MAOB inhibitor to another one, um, but Warren, you're correct. Most, most of the time, you don't want to switch it just for uh, the sake of switching. There must be some rhyme, reason, rationale for doing so. Yes, I should have prefaced it by saying, if you're not fully controlled with the use of the MAOB inhibitor, then it'd be worth it. But if you're completely happy and controlled just for a new drug, it's not worth the switch at this time. Correct. And... Uh, did you have another kind of question or comment on, 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 on what I had explained about the safinamide? No, you, you handled it perfectly. I, uh, I do have some information, a little bit technical, but I'd like to just bring up a couple of things. That uh, when you see about these studies on these new drugs, they talk about double blind, single blind. And this was a double blind study. I'll just quickly just say that. That means that neither the person giving the drug or the person receiving the drug knew whether it was a drug or the placebo, the, the fake dose. And that type of study is the study you want to look for. So usually when I give a talk at our support group meeting, I usually bring up little things like that that you could, you could just see in the news or read about it. And so you're familiar with the terms. The only one I'll bring up today is the double blind, which is the better one because everybody's in the dark and there's no preconceived information being given to the, uh, the result. I agree, uh, Warren. I think that's uh, sort of the gold standard in the field. Um, as Warren just said, uh, we as physicians, as well as pharmacists and scientists, uh, and also the regulatory agency, FDA, uh, always looks at double-blind placebo-controlled studies as the gold standard for approval. And this drug did go through rigorous uh, double-blind studies, uh, both in phase two as well as phase three. Phase two is where you first show efficacy, meaning the drug is effective after you've already shown safety. And then phase three is a confirmation of whatever you see in phase two, typically, and you look at a larger population in, in different areas. And so it was studied uh, in different populations. It was studied in Europe. It was studied in Asia. It was studied in North America. So it seems like this is a drug that does have efficacy across the board in Parkinson's disease and relatively good safety profile 
across the board in uh, many continents and many different populations. So um, it appears to be a very reasonable drug. And as always, um, Europe uh, seemed to approve drugs a little faster. So European um, countries had saponamide or Zadago for approximately five years earlier than it came to North America. And the experience in, in Europe appears to be equally good. So it seems like um, it's a good, good choice of drug uh, for patients. So if there are no more uh, comments, um, Warren, let's uh, wrap up here. Um, Warren and I are uh, thrilled uh, to do this uh, podcast again and hope you find this useful. If um, you all have any questions, concerns about um, what we are uh, recording today, um, please feel free to uh, go to the comment box and uh, contact us box and send us a message. Also, if you like what you hear and you like to hear more topics, please feel free to suggest topics that we can cover in these weekly podcasts that we plan to keep doing. And also, please spread the word that these podcasts are available. Warren, you want to give a pitch for how people can get to your website? Yes, it's uh, helpwithparkinsons.com with no uh, apostrophe. It's www.helpwithparkinsons.com. Dot com, And it's a full website with forums and blogs. Contact me, ask questions. And uh, it's just all there for people to use, no charge. And uh, the more people on it, the more people that use it, the better it's going to be. Because we like to include people that are just being diagnosed and they kind of fall through the cracks the first few years because they, uh, they're told by their doctor they have a good five, six years before they even uh, going to show symptoms. And uh, during that, they don't really want word to get out at work. So they kind of keep their head in the sand and just wait till uh, the symptoms occur. So it'd be nice if confidentially they could go to a website and just have discussions with people that are, have had the disease. And uh, it's, it's never, never a bad thing to have more knowledge. And uh, waiting till six, seven years after you're diagnosed, just then start going to groups and talking to people, that's, that's six or seven years of, of nervousness and stress that you could have avoided. You said it best, Warren. Thank you all. We appreciate you listening to us. Have a good evening. Bye. Bye.